You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. the Book of Nature podcast, your quasi-regular foray into all things science, faith, and everywhere in between. Well, listeners, you probably are sitting there and you're looking at your iPods or iPhones or whatever you use to listen to your podcast saying, I can't believe it. Another Book of Nature podcast within a month of the other one? What's going on? Shocking. I know, we can't believe it either. But yes, we have it. Um, by the time you will be hearing this one, it'll probably be after Christmas. So, uh, merry belated Christmas, to everyone, and a happy New Year. Uh, well, um, the voice you're hearing now is uh, my name is uh, Daniel Dawson. I'm an assistant professor at the uh, Department of Earth, Atmospheric, and Planetary Sciences at Purdue University. And normally, we would be talking with uh, two. I would be talking with two other uh, scientists. But uh, today, again, we have uh, absent uh, Charles Hackney. But I do have uh, Todd Pedler with me. Um, and Todd Pedler is an associate professor of physics at Luther College in Decor, Iowa. How are you doing today, Todd? Well, it's uh, December 21st as we, uh, as we record this. And my grading is done. Uh, Christmas shopping is done. So I'm beat <laughs> yeah, you and me both. And so we, I don't know if you had some taste of this uh, bitter cold this past uh, week or so, but uh, we're just starting to thaw out a little bit here. But we had a nice little little uh, bout of uh, light snow and freezing rain, which turned my entire uh, neighborhood into a one giant skating rink. And then it got cold, but <laughs> looks like actually some, mm-hmm. some uh, warm-up and possibly even some thunderstorms. Uh, shortly after Christmas, so uh, typical winter um, swings here. So, <laughs> yeah, Christmas Day they they're mm-hmm. they're, they're mm-hmm. saying. I mean, uh, and you can tell that the models are all over the map because I've got one I've got one weather app telling me it's going to be forty one and rain. I've got another one telling me it's going to be fifty five. Yeah, um, which you know I I. That suddenly went that way, and I'm, my guess is it'll come back down. But yeah, um, when you have these 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 giant lows that crank up, you know, what, where that where that center happens to be relative to you can make all the difference in the world. And so, your forecast mm-hmm. can, at any given location is going to be very sensitive to that. The larger scale right. forecast of the the system may be when you kind of zoom out, maybe actually pretty good, but that doesn't matter necessarily to yep. somebody who's like either going to get, you know, two feet of snow or, you know, some rain if it, depending on where it goes. So, right. yeah. Um, <laughs> I lo- it looks to me like the chances are pretty good that for sure that it, it's going to go well to my North and West. So I'm not, lo- I am not uh, mm-hmm. holding my breath for any kind of snow anytime soon really here. So, uh, anyway, uh, enough about the weather. Um, hmm. 
let's move on to uh, our today's topic. And again, um, hopefully next year um, we'll have, uh, well, for sure we'll have Charles uh, Hackney come back and join us. Um, but uh, for now, uh, we're just, it's just Todd and I, so let's get going. So um, today we're talking about a perennial and con- somewhat controversial topic in physics and cosmology, the notion of the fine-tuning of the universe for the existence of life. So let's get right into it. Uh, many physicists, astronomers, cosmologists, particularly with the advent of the modern versions of these fields, have noted something seemingly extraordinary about our universe. Uh, so just to give a couple examples, uh, Freeman Dyson, the eminent theoretical physicist, once said that the more I examine the universe and the details of its architecture, the more evidence I find that the universe, in some sense, must have known we were coming. And another example, the noted astronomer Fred Hoyle wrote, um, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect is monkeyed with physics, as well as with chemistry and biology, and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. Now, that latter quote, some have taken to believe that Fred Hoyle actually believed the superintellect literally as, as God, but that's disputed. The point here is not necessarily that, some, that many of these uh, scientists and philosophers have, have concluded that God did this, but more that they have noticed something very interesting about the universe. So, and they're using what they, the best metaphor that they know how. So we'll get more into that as we go. But uh, let's first ask, uh, first of all, what is fine-tuning, and particularly in the cosmological sense? Todd, can you, can you give us some, uh, shed some light on this? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the idea in general involves what is... Uh, essentially at the root of what we would call fundamental physics. Um, that is the, the, the physical concepts from which, uh, from the ground up, we can explain how the universe we see is is constructed, as it were. Um, and this will involve physics at many different distance scales from the minute inner constituents of nuclei and atoms to the largest distances imaginable. Um the fundamental relations between the ultimate building blocks of the universe are described in terms of forces or interactions. Um, and these forces are characterized by various quantities of fundamental constants of nature, uh, so to speak. Um, these fundamental constants have particular values. Uh, for instance, the, the constant associated with the law of gravitation has a value of 6.67 times 10 to the minus 11th newton meters squared per kilogram squared, while the constant associated with the electromagnetic force has a value of uh, about Uh, 8.99 times 10 to the 9th newton meters squared per coulomb squared. Uh, another important constant is the speed of light in a vacuum, 2.99 times 10 to the 8th meters per second. Um, all, all these constants exist, right? All of these are constants that dictate the way uh, either uh, large bodies, small bodies interact with, with, with one another. Uh, gravitation, you know, is what holds galaxies together. Um, so we're talking about very, very large bodies, very, very large distance scales. The constants which govern the uh, fundamental forces, which we talk about as between particles, 
are, are, are those which are generally speaking dealing with very, very short distance scales, uh, at least in terms of their practical extent. Um, so all of these constants, all of, all, all of these constants of nature um, are, they, they, they happen to have values which have allowed life to be, as it were. Uh, the idea is that uh, if any of these constants is outside a very, in some cases, very restricted range of what its value is as we measure it, uh, then life couldn't have arisen. That's that's sort of the main idea. And it's not just fundamental constants, right? There are, there are other empirically observed quantities which seem to be important. And we'll talk about some of these too in our in our time today. But they have to do with probabilities of of uh, interactions not at the sort of fundamental level, but more at the bulk level of, of interactions of matter. Um, for instance, the likelihood of helium nuclei to interact and produce a carbon nucleus. Um, or more simply, the particular reaction probabilities that drive the fusion process in stars, mm-hmm. which produce energy. Um, or even more simply, the fact that the periodic table of elements exists at all. Um, that atoms, different kinds of atoms, are chemically distinct from one another, which derives from a very simple idea uh, regarding the behavior of electrons, which, yeah. which we'll talk about later, too. So the, the, the concept of, of cosmological fine-tuning is, that, that again, that all of these various constants, all of these various probabilities, they seem to lie in this, this narrow range that is necessary for life to arise. And, uh, you know... It, if not, if they, if any one of them is outside of a particular window, that, that some of which have been studied um, uh, to, to some degree, if any of those constant lies lies uh, too far away, then life won't arise. Then, and that may mean that may mean that mm. carbon can't form. Uh, that may mean that nothing arises mm. other than hydrogen and perhaps helium. Um, in which case, life would not <laughs> exist mm. as we know it. Um, in the case of some other constants, perhaps stars couldn't form at all, or if they do form, they would quickly expire. Um, still other cases, perhaps galaxies and solar systems like our own couldn't even be stable. Um, anyway, the, the, the idea of fine-tuning is that, uh, again, all of those constants are simultaneously in the range required for life, and this is too much to be a coincidence. Uh, the probability that all the constants are just right is vanishingly small, uh, which said, suddenly I've got yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy here in the infinite right. improbability drive of the heart of gold. But uh, but yeah, I mean, that, I, I'm digressing, I guess. But no, that's a great that that that's a good example because it kind of highlights just you know what we're talking about here. Is in that in that uh, in that story, there's all kinds of absurd things that happen when they turn this drive on that are you know ridiculously improbable, right. like a like a a giant whale forming, uh, over, you know, up <laughs> above yeah. this planet and then crashing to the ground and and uh, right. and things of that nature, um, which uh, interestingly enough, um, uh, some of the uh, some of the uh, the 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 uh, things surrounding this fine tuning question that we might get into a little bit later deal with probabilities of fluctuations of complex features out of, you know, just random noise and and uh those factor into how we compute 
you know, things like probabilities of these different constants being this, the way they are. Um, perhaps we'll get into that. But mm-hmm. um, so I guess the so it would seem that I keep hearing um, this this idea that okay, if we did this, if we change this constant this way or that way, life wouldn't form or this wouldn't happen. So is that what you think most uh, cosmologists, physicists, et cetera, are talking about? Is that the that that things seem to be fine-tuned for the existence of life, period? Or is it our kind of life? Is it intelligent life? Or, I mean, because you mentioned some things in there about about even stars not forming or, or you just have a universe of pure hydrogen and stuff. So it would seem like the problem mm-hmm. runs deeper than just whether or not we get life, like whether or not we get any kind of interesting um, physics at all like intera- interactions between particles and forces. Would, 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 do you think mm-hmm. that's a safe, uh, assumption, uh, safe thing to say there? That Well, yeah, I mean, uh, pr- primarily what, uh, what I have read uh, is dealing with the probabilities of life like us. Uh, life, uh, you know, what what is the acronym that I'm thinking of here? It's embodied um, conscious actors or something like this. Um, beings that are able to observe and make sense mm-hmm. of the universe. Um, and so largely we're, you know, people are, are not talking about uh, the arising of any kind of life whatsoever. Um, all, although I would probably guess that anyone that talks about the, uh, you know, the probabilities of human-like life, sentient beings uh, arising, I, it's probably not that much different than right. bacteria uh, yeah. arising. Uh, I, you know, the the universe still has to be. Uh, you know, such that you get proteins right. uh, and, and and so forth. So, uh, but but you know, l- largely it is this universe sure. we're talking about. Um, do we have a universe that could produce right. us right. to study it? Yeah, I mean, that when looking through um, some of the the literature on this subject, that seems to be a point that's made quite frequently. Is that, yeah, I mean. The, the 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 to get even to get like you said bacteria it's it's in you know and you have to have this the same it's not like you you can change the um you know the up cork mass a little bit more and you'll still get bacteria but you won't get humans it it seems like right. no you have to have pretty much the same tuning to get even to get the whole um the whole uh shebang um so mm-hmm. i find I, I think that's kind of interesting um mm-hmm. i don't know what what implications that has for how we think about this but just kind of an interesting fact uh, or or an interesting at least conclusion that has come that people have come to about this so um mm-hmm. so you you alluded to some of these examples uh so can mm-hmm. you lay out some some uh some examples that have been noted for fine-tuning in our universe and maybe describe them and discuss sure. what you think about them? Well, yeah, so, um, you know, the way that I, 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 I guess, I, I, as a particle physicist, I tend to go to the things that involve 
particles and nuclei and, and things like that. So, um, you know, one of one of the, uh, the those that I think I'd, I'd put up there as as really important. I mean, given the fact that we are carbon based life forms, as they would say on Star Trek or something like that, um, you have. Uh, the following, uh, the, the following uh, uh, occurrence naturally, uh, you have fusion in the stars of of uh, hydrogen, um, deuterium specifically, uh, to produce um, alpha particles. You can take two deuterons. A deuteron is just a proton and a neutron bound together. Interestingly enough, I didn't think about this. We're gonna to have to. We're gonna to have to come back here. The fact that the deuteron is bound at all is interesting because it's not bound by very much. Um, it is. Uh, it falls apart relatively easily. Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's it's barely stuck together. Um, but the alpha particle is, which is the 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 nucleus of helium, normal helium, is very tightly bound. It's one of the most tightly bound nuclei, uh, actually. Uh, certainly the most light. The, the most tightly bound light mm-hmm. nucleus. Um, so the, the the fact that the alpha particle uh, is so bound that would be very two protons and two uh, neutrons. Yeah. Two protons yeah. and two neutrons yeah, bound together by the strong nuclear interaction. Um, the fact that it is bound very tightly indeed is important. Um, but more important than that is that there is a special. Uh, Probability, an enhanced probability for three alpha particles in the near vicinity, and by near vicinity I mean nuclear distances away from each other, to fuse together to produce carbon-12. Um, it is not, you know, it, it, is, it is a particular, it is particularly enhanced probability for that to occur as compared to other possible combinations. So carbon is is produced relatively readily, um, more so than you might expect otherwise. Um, if that resonance, if that, if that uh, enhanced probability did not exist, then you wouldn't have much going on in stars beyond the production of, of So basically, of um, the idea here is that in stars, you have, you know, all these uh, hydrogen uh, nuclei bouncing around. Um, merging and you get um, and you have these alpha particles that are merging into into heavier n- nuclei, releasing energy in the process, which is nuclear fusion, which is what powers mm-hmm. a, um, you know the sun. Uh, but that in a generic sense, based on what we understand about um, how these nuclei would combine under and and bind under the strong force that generically you would not expect any particular enhancement of the development of carbon Mm -hmm. you would expect it to form at roughly you know similar rates or what have you to other elements given a certain probability distribution of these alpha particles coming together in certain combinations but what in fact we do see is that you do get this enhancement it's like as if there's a special energy favor uh, fav- uh barrier favorable for four of these um it's four right so uh no yeah three, three. okay it's yeah three, three alphas for yep. them to come together that they'll be much more likely to stick together than you would otherwise expect them to be relative to other combinations and so therefore you get more carbon 
than you might otherwise expect. And that is the, that's the thing that you're talking about that's the resonance that's somewhat, quote-unquote, surprising or tuned. Do I have that right? Right. Okay. That's correct. That's correct. And, the, you know, the, and this is, uh, you know, this you can tie to a name, Fred Hoyle, um, uh, in terms of his popularization of this particular, this particular process. Um, and, you know, interestingly, too, uh, you know, it, well, I, I guess we'll just I'll, I'll just leave that at that. Carbon being the, the, the root of essentially all animal and plant life. Um, the fact that it is, you know, it, its production is resonantly enhanced is is really, really, really critical. Um, another, uh, I, I guess, related to this, uh, or at least of a similar, uh, similar uh, um, importance, is the fact that the proton uh, is stable. A proton can't decay to uh, to anything. Uh, well, okay, there are people who look for proton decay. Uh, there are experiments that have been certain, designed, which is never, never, never certain grand observed. unified theories <laughs> predict that it will yeah. eventually decay. Right? Yeah. Correct. Correct. Um, but there, there's nothing really for it to decay into. Um, baryon number uh, would have to and be, uh, violate it. Baryon number, yes. So, so baryons are. Uh, you just have to go back to my biographical episode, I guess, to hear uh, me talk about baryons and mesons and so forth. Um, but uh, you know, a baryon is a three quark uh, bound state, and protons and neutrons are the common everyday uh, uh, van- plain vanilla variety of these. And the proton is lighter than the neutron. So uh, one of the principles that, that uh, Dan mentioned is uh, that baryon number is conserved. That means anything that happens, any, any process that occurs, uh, baryon number needs to remain the same. So you can take energy and produce a baryon and an antibaryon, um, uh, and and that's fine because one plus minus one is zero, and you start it with zero, so that's great. Um, if you're going to decay a proton, you have to decay to another baryon, and there is no lighter baryon to decay to. Um, the neutron is slightly heavier, um, uh, slightly heavier than the proton is, and um, does decay to it. Decays to it by emitting a uh, an electron and an electron-type neutrino, anti-neutrino. Um, that's the process called beta decay. Uh, it's a very important process, actually a very important process, uh, those decays in the sun um, in terms of fueling the sun, um, critical. Um, the fact that the neutron can decay to the proton but not vice versa uh, means we've got the possibility of stable nuclei, um, which have a particular proton number, uh, a, a, as it were. Proton is the charged uh, is is the charged baryon, um, and the number of charged baryon char, number of charged protons, charged objects within a nucleus, dictates the number of electrons that you'll have for neutral atoms, and you know in some sense lies at the root of of uh, of the different chemical species that we that we observe if the proton decays we don't have that structure we don't have that possibility we basically get um, a universe full of neutrons and, and nothing else is that 
Well, then yeah. that's not very is interesting, it, is, is it? Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> that's what. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that is, that is what could be. Yeah. Well, more or less. Yeah, it, it could. It, it's. I. I haven't thought very much about the alternatives, but. Um, but yeah, if protons are all decaying, then everything's just going to be neutrons, and you're not going to have. Um, the complex matter that we have. Um, so the the fact that the proton is stable has to do with the mass difference between the up quark and the down uh, the down quark that make up the proton and the neutron. The down quark is heavier by a little bit. And um, so the object with two downs and an up, the neutron, is heavier than the proton is. Um, so there are a number of things there that are important, um, uh, not least of which is the masses of the quarks uh, being or arrayed as they are, um, but also the, the strength, of, again, the strength of the strong interaction. Um, it is... I guess related to this, now that if we walk into chemistry a little bit, um, uh, and this is, I think, one of my my favorite kinds of uh, things that just happen, you know, has to be uh, the the there, there's a principle in quantum mechanics called the Pauli exclusion principle, which says uh, that electrons that are in um, that that are in atomic orbits. Uh, Every electron that is in orbit around the nucleus of a, a given atom, every single one of them has to have different or a unique set of what we call quantum numbers. Now, that's not very helpful to the general audience. Um, it means that they have to all inhabit different orbits from one another. That's the easiest way to, to, to put it. Um, if that principle does not apply... Then all electrons would be in this, you know, it'd be possible for them all to be in the same orbit, which would mean that we don't have chemistry. You would have different, you know, you could potentially have different um, a atomic species with different numbers of protons in the nucleus, but all the electrons would look the same to other atoms. And if that's the case, then everything <clears throat> reacts with everything else in the same way. We got no chemistry. We got no chemistry. Mm -hmm. We got no life. Okay. So um, that you know that's not a parameter value as much as it is a principle that governs the the the, the universe. But it it doesn't have to be that way. Electrons could be bosons. Not <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, but 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 uh, bosons which don't obey the Pauli exclusion principle. Um, if electrons were bosons, then again, all chemistry they would all would be occupy gone. the lowest energy um, state in in a yes, which I suppose you're <laughs> sometimes <laughs> yeah, especially <laughs> after a day at uh, playing yeah. with other dogs, he his lies flat on <laughs> yeah, the floor, right, doesn't right, move. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, not to belabor, uh, you know, uh, these 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 examples uh, too too much further, but I do want to give one more, and I'd like to sure. hear some from you too. Um, this is more of a you know, going from uh, from inside to out to to a, to a, a still larger principle um, or or property. Uh, ice has a very odd property in terms of, uh, you know, as compared to other substances. Um, and that is that its density is, um, is lighter 
uh, or is less than that of liquid water. Most things get more dense when they pass from the liquid state to the solid state, but ice does not. Um, there are just another couple uh, uh, examples, and I can't remember whether it is germanium or not. I, the, there, there is another, uh, you know, a, another not too uncommon. Mercury is also mercury? expands and freezes, mm-hmm. I believe. And okay, okay. There's a couple well, other examples. Yes. But it's unusual. But it's, but it's very unusual. And um, the fact that ice is less dense means ice is formed at the top of lakes, not at the bottom. Um, and this is important for preserving life that lives in water. Uh, if it were not this, the case, you could have uh, ponds and lakes that froze completely solid and uh, bye-bye fish. Most fish. I suppose some fish can survive freezing. I guess I've heard of such things. Um, but the fact, you know, the, the fact that ice density is 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 less uh, means you've got freezing from the top. And uh, if this, you know, again, if this were not the case, we'd have a different different uh, we we definitely would have a different uh, form of life. I guess on Earth, we would not likely have at least freshwater fish. I suppose. Um, or maybe they would have, who knows, maybe they would be able to survive such things. Um, anyway, what have you got? Sure. Uh, I have a couple that I thought were kind of interesting. These are more on the cosmological um, level. One of them was the idea that um, in terms of the entropy of the universe. So to to kind of give some background here, entropy uh in sort of common parlance is is some kind of measure of disorder and uh in physics it's it's essentially how much of energy is available to do useful uh work for for some uh like a chemical reaction or a nuclear reaction or to move things around uh and low entropy state would be a highly ordered state where there's lots of energy available to do something useful, um, whereas high entropy state would be very disordered, where all the in- energy is sort of spread out in terms of just random heat dissipation. So um, a, an example of this would be uh, if I had a glass of wine on, on my desktop. Uh, so I have this glass and I have this wine in it and it's sitting on top of my desk. That's a low entropy state. If I knock that wine over and it falls to the floor and spreads out and hits everything on the floor, stains my carpet, and the glass breaks into a bunch of shards, I've gone from a very low entropy state to a higher entropy state. And one way to tell the difference here um, is that, um, well, for one, I can't go, it would be very much more difficult for me to drink the wine after it has fallen on the floor, whereas before, it's a lot easier for me to get at it. Uh, so that's one consequence. Um, also, if we, we can look at this from the concept of the laws of physics and being uh, how they operate. And there's nothing to actually stop that the broken glass of wine and all the wine that's on the floor from spontaneously leaping back into the wine glass as the... Um, glass shards come together and bind together into a single hole and then back up onto the, the, the desktop as if I were running a movie of it backwards. The laws of physics actually work just fine with that 
process. But none of us see that happening. Um, we always see, if we're going to see anything like that, we see the reverse process of the wine falling off and breaking. We don't see thing, wine coming back together into a nice stable configuration. You can think of a lot of other examples. Um, so this concept is known as the second law of thermodynamics that in an isolated system, the overall entropy of, a, of the system is always increasing. That is, the amount of energy available to do useful work is, um, or is, is always decreasing. And so one of the questions that cosmologists ask about entropy is what is the entropy of the universe as a whole? And by that we mean like uh, when we look out into the sky and we see all the stars and galaxies, can we calculate what that entropy is? How, what, how much energy is out there available to do useful work? Like things like collapsing nebula to form stars, um, heating up planets, you know, uh, producing life on planets, life, you know, going through all of its met metabolic processes, things like that, doing useful work with available uh, energy. Um, and then they like to calculate how that entropy changes over time. Sure enough, the entropy of the universe increases as a whole with time. Uh, as the universe ages, as far as we can tell, um, one way is by looking into the distant universe into the back in time when the universe was much younger, um, we see that the amount of, say, free hydrogen that's in um, galaxies to form new stars, ignite new stars, is decreasing over time. So star-forming uh, rates decrease over time. Uh, as time goes on, this, the, 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 the matter gets more and more diluted. The galaxies get further apart. Temperature of the universe decreases. Um, and more and more energy is just going into... Um, radiation of low energy radiation that sort of spreads out, basically heat that just spreads out and it's no longer able to be used for anything. And that is just something we see very consistently from multiple lines of evidence. So um, the question here is, as you extrapolate backward in time towards the beginning of the universe, the Big Bang, it, it looks like the universe had to have been in a very, very, very low entropy state. And that is one of the more fundamental mysteries of, of cosmology is why was it in a low entropy state? What caused it to be in that state? Because at some point either we have to argue that the second law breaks down or that it just doesn't apply at some sense or something else was going on, some other law that made it such that the early universe had to have some low entropy. It's a, it's a puzzle. And in fact, this problem, this is such a huge problem that even when we look at the, the observable universe, which is something like, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong here, Todd, something like 10, 12 billion light years in diameter or something that we can see. Yeah, or and something. it's likely much bigger than that. We just can't see beyond that. Um, then um, even just looking at that and, and, and ca calculating the entropy of, the, of what we see, it's still incredibly low. We don't, when we look out there, we don't see this uniform soup of low energy particles just flying around with no structure. That would be a very high entropy state. We see organized structures. We see galaxies with spiral arms. We see, you know, stars forming. We see all kinds of structure and stuff going on. So even now, even though the entropy has been increasing for however, you know, 14 something billion years, it's still very low. And in fact, um, Roger Penrose, I believe, has computed 
what is the probability of find of observing a universe of this entropy state given you know what we know about you know given some ensemble of uh uh and time frame of the universe evolving and it's something like one in 10 to the 10 to the 120 power um, that we would have a patch of of our universe in an eternally inflating universe which will we can t- maybe talk about as we go on that would just happen to be in this l- low entropy state and uh, there's really it's it's just an enduring mystery of why this is and that is an absurdly huge number. Um, so we think that there's maybe something like 10 to the 80 fundamental particles in the entire observable universe. But this isn't, this isn't, this is, this number makes that look like, I don't know, it dwarfs it in comparison. We're talking like 10 to the factor of 10 to the factor of 120. So I don't know, can you maybe shed? give some uh, analogy for how just how big that number is <laughs> i mean <laughs> oh good grief uh so it's 10 to the 10 yeah. to the 120 it, well that's absurd <laughs> for for if you assuming you have you know some uh you know eternal you know and universe expansion um where you have every, mm-hmm. you know, with the second law in effect, you occasionally fluctuate sure. small regions. So the second law isn't like this perfect law. It's not like it's always the case that entropy is always decreasing, increasing all the time. There occasionally can be random fluctuations that give you some brief lower entropy pockets. So this probability is calculated by how big of a fluctuation you would have to get to get the pocket of low entropy that we see. And it's, sure. it's absolutely... Sure. A, ridiculously low probability. So that's how... Th- well, I mean, yeah, yeah. T- I mean, 10 to the 120 is, is, is like, small enough. Or right. It's is, is crazy enough, right? I mean, 10 to the 120 is... is 120 10, zeros, with, right. With 120 zeros. Now, 10 to that is, you know, a, a, a one with 10 to the 100... Zeros after it, right. Zeros after it. Um I mean, that number is Bas- just so you know that that number is just absurd. I mean, absurd. I mean, you would you would basically you would you would run out if you if you took I, I if you took one particle every so say you had a whole universe full of fundamental particles, um, yeah, and you wrote we were able to write a zero on each one of those particles to represent sure. just the digits right. in this number you would yeah. run out of particles in the universe long before you even got to write the number of digits in this number, right. let alone the number that that actually represents. So that's maybe right. a better way right. of looking at it. It's Well, if, you know, <clears throat> if, if we're talking about, just to, to give you an, a, 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 a number which is much, 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 which is astronomically smaller than this, number um let's take the 10 to the 80th fundamental particles in the universe you pick one to 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 the the odds of picking one the one you want uh is one in 10 to the 80 that's only one in 10 to the 80 that that means 10 to the 40th times more probable than 10 to the 120 
And then we haven't yet taken the 10 to the right. 10 to the 120. I mean, I, you know, so so again, I, I it's it, it, it's so I mean, this is really, I guess, the definition of astronomically improbable, right? More, 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 more than astronomically. Yeah. Yeah. The astronomically would be just if it was 10 to the 100 or 10 to 80. (laughs) So it it actually (laughs) puts that uh, idea of astronomically improbable would be vastly, incredibly more probable. (laughs) Yeah. Very mundane. Right. right, Exactly. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You're right. It's effectively infinitely improbable for by any stretch right, of the right. the term you know so but anyway that's one that that's interesting just having to do with how crazy it is that we have the entropy that we see now most cosmologists you know you know they acknowledge this but they they would argue that there's some principle out there that heretofore undiscovered that would basically require that the universe at some beginning time had 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 to have had some low entropy um but it's just mm-hmm. nevertheless it is something that it's there you know it's it's we have to right. deal with it at some level so um yep. let's mm-hmm. let's move along then based um uh, sure. that's a good segue into into the next topic here um so we talked about these different examples and there's many many more out there and many interesting things um uh, I was trying to kind of look for some of them beforehand, and I thought, you know, we've got enough here. We'll we could talk for hours, so we'll we'll leave this as an exercise right. to the reader. To and and in the show notes, I'll put some links for some interesting topics and some books that discuss this this um, matter quite well, much further than we can mm-hmm. get into it here. But um, so we talked about all these constants. We talked about how fine-tuned stuff is. Um, this this has obviously you know made folks nervous. Um, uh, one of the big elephants in the room that we haven't talked about here is what what do we what do we take from all this? It, um, hmm. they're, they're one of the more obvious uh, and a lot of listeners have probably heard fine tuning in this context is that well this is evidence that indeed the uh, some super intellect like like Fred Hoy was talking about. Um, or namely a creator or a God, set up the universe this way on purpose. That it's not just a coincidence or something else, that, yeah, this is evidence that there's a purpose that, that's meant to be this way so that we can have life. Um, and so, not surprisingly, this makes this sort of topic somewhat controversial when those kind of inferences are brought up on a, on a larger stage. Um, so, mm-hmm. what are some of these objections that folks have come up with uh, to this, the the argument Mm -hmm. that fine tuning implies something like a creator or God. Right. Right. So, I mean, there, there are a couple of things, I guess, that come to mind in terms of general objections. And one of which uh, is, is a, I guess a relatively simple statement that we don't really know what the requirements for life arising are. Um, we know that life exists here and now as we see it and are able to observe it, but we don't really have any idea, uh, honestly, uh, of of the likelihood 
of other possible forms of life. I mean that that that's a very generic statement, but but I think it's it's a legitimate it's a legitimate objection the, that is that is offered. Um, related to that, I guess, <clears throat> is we don't actually know what the probabilities are. Um, we don't really know that the particular combination that we have uh, of these constants, even if we argue that the uh, you know the, the the even if we argue that these parameters are finely tuned, as it were, we don't know that that's unusual. We don't know that that could maybe we maybe. The, the, another way to put that is we don't know that any other way would be possible at all. Um, so one of the things that I guess, um, uh, let's see, where did I read this? I should be giving reference to things that I pull out of, of off the internet, but um, but I'm I'm unable at the moment to to think about uh, to, to think about where this came we'll from. We'll see if we can find it for the um, show notes. Right, <clears throat> right. Um, y- you know, we could. Um, let's, I, I, now I'm forgetting the illustration. Um, you know, the, the fact is, uh, Michael Jordan, uh, as a basketball player was, was, uh, two meters mm-hmm. tall, roughly. Um, but he could have been three meters tall or he could have been one meter tall, in which case he couldn't have been the Michael Jordan we know. Um, uh, and, if we want to say how improbable it is that Michael Jordan is uh, is exactly nearly exactly two meters tall, um, we can't uh, arbitrarily say, well, he could have been a nanometer tall and he could have been a light year tall. And so let's just divvy up this uh, light year into little bits and say, well, it's, you know, uh, his probability of being exactly two meters tall is like one in 10 to the minus mm-hmm. whatever. Or one in ten to the you know to the ten to the whatever, um, human beings tend to be in the neighborhood right. of two meters tall, uh, give, give or take half a half a meter, um, and so the probability calculation has to be sure. done with that in mind. Uh, the same thing is you know true for any of these constants. What's the likelihood that any of these constants could take on any value? Well, we can't just assume that the prior the we can't assume that the um, the distribution from which these parameters possible values are taken is flat and extends over uh, you know as big a range as we like we just can't make these calculations mm. well and that's a problem i mean it, it, it is a problem in that if we can't tell what any particular improbability is then we can't you know take the product of them and say, well, that means, you know, our universe is infinitely improbable. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, I, 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 I don't, I can't find too much fault with that, uh, at least as an objection, um, because, you know, we, we, we really don't have a good idea of what these probabilities might be. Okay. Um, so, yeah. yeah, on the face of it, it seems like you're, well, you're, you're right to, to, to say that we we don't really know, but um, I think that we do have some some things we can say to that. Um, and one thing I would say is that we, when we look at, for example, the the pro- the possibility of what 
the masses of different fundamental particles they could have. We don't have our, 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 our fundamental theories don't tell us what those masses are. They work, um, they, they basically work by where you would plug in values to the mass into the equations, and then you would get the behavior of the system. But there's nothing in those equations that dictates this mass must be this way. The Higgs boson must have this mass. The, the, top, uh, the top quark must have this mass, you know, et cetera. So for all we know, they're free parameters. Now, we have to go to some degree with what we know. And we do know that there is some upper bound, as far as we can tell, to the mass that a particle can have, and it's called the Planck mass, which would be the mass where a fundamental particle would essentially become its own black hole. Um, and, uh, and that's something like, what, 10 to the 18 or even bigger... Yeah, Ten to the twenty-two, G I think. So, Something so like yeah. using that as a first start. So we're not we're just we're not just <laughs> varying. You know, it's not like we're saying, oh, humans can be a nanometer to a light year tall. We have we can restrict things a little bit more than that. We know that humans, like you said, are on the order of two meters plus or minus half a meter. Or so, for the most part, you know, and so then we it's not too terribly surprising that we'd find somebody. You know, with a you know tall enough to to be like Michael Jordan, um, and but so the situation though with with these ma these masses of these particles is somewhat different in that we're not. It would be as if um, oh golly, it would be as if we some somebody were born that grew to be ten miles tall. You know, we don't. <laughs> We, 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 we know that physiologically speaking, that's incredibly unlikely. Um, and so to see that happen would be an extraordinarily improbable thing. So I think the, the counter objection to what you're saying is something along those lines is that the very, given that we have no reason to suspect that the particles that we, we see couldn't have masses all the way up to the Planck mass or down to nothing, um, that the, the range that they do have within that 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 uh, that parameter space is so so exquisitely tuned to well this is getting back to what the tuning is to begin with um, that you know that we can have this kind of uh, you know structures that we see in the universe like stars and that last for a long enough time to you know have stable environments for planets with life and and for having stable carbon chemistry and all the other things that we kind of hinted at. So I think it's more along those I, I think we can we can say more than just oh we're just going we don't we don't have anything to guide us so we're just going to vary them every which way. We do have some things to guide us. And I think the argument against that is that it's precisely because of what we have learned about how the universe works that makes the incidents of fine-tuning that we see so interesting and that the more we learn about how the universe works and the more we uncover, you know, fundamental laws and stuff, the more examples and the more, more uh, robust the fine-tuning appears to be and, and not the other way around. Um, and so I think that, I mean, that's not a, that's not a slam-dunk case, right? But it's, it's more than just, you know, where we, 
it's not like we just don't know anything, I think. Um, we, we do know some, some things. And even and another way of looking at this is even if it were to be the case that we would find that these, part, these particles and forces and all this stuff had to have some of these values because of some deeper um, principle, deeper uh, guiding fundamental physical principle, you still might would be able to ask the question of, well, why those principles that would generate these values and not another? And so it's, it's almost as if you're pushing the problem further back. You're, you're not really getting rid of it. And so um, that would be the intuition that I think that most offenders of fine-tuning would bring to the table. And obviously there's a lot more nuance to both the objection and to the counter-objection that I just brought up. But um, yeah. so to recognizing sort of this sort of counter-objections, a lot of physicists have come along – and said, well, okay, yeah, sure. It's highly unlikely, given what we know about what the different constants, that what values they could have taken, et cetera, that we would get just this particular um, set of constants in our universe to allow for life. Sure, we'll go with that. You're right. That's, that's incredibly unlikely. But what if our universe isn't the only one? And in fact, that there's this huge multiverse out there in which there's a lot of other universes forming all the time with just random values of these constants put together. Given enough time, given enough universes, eventually you'll hit on one that has our properties. And so this is the so-called multiverse objection. So I don't know how much you want to get into this, seeing that we have, you know, maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> we should start heading for the door. 10 minutes. But uh, can we just briefly discuss this multiverse question and yeah um what you think about that as far as a possible sure response yeah well so you know you've already you've already i guess described the essential feature is that the idea is that if if the combination of constants we have is so uh unlikely then the, uh, the, the worry about the improbability goes away if you have a sufficient number of candidate universes that have come to, to be, um, where these constants are all, I guess, uh, I'm trying to imagine what this, <laughs> what this actually looks like, that these you know, fundamental constants of uh, of nature are defined each individually for each multiverse as though it's a bunch of random dice throws that, you know, universe A gets this random set and universe B gets this random set and so forth. Um, and only in universe uh, Z triple Y uh, did, did you know, the constants come up just right um, that, uh, you know, we, we got all sixes or whatever. Um the, I mean, I guess sure. If you've got, if you've got, let's just pick a number out of a hat. Let's let's suppose we knew that our combination was, um, uh, let, let's pick the number that that you've already quoted. Let let's say that the odds against our combination are you know one in ten to the ten to the one hundred twenty. Well, as long as you had the formation of, uh, you know, that many or of order that many universes, 
uh, produced than the, the, the observation that there is this one in which we arose is not weird, um, is not unusual at all. Uh, so you've got no, you know, you, you don't have that lack mm-hmm. of probability problem anymore. Um, now, you know, I will, uh, <laughs> I'll admit, I guess my two, and we really need a whole show yeah. just to talk about this. Um, but I, you know, I, my, my skepticism on this couldn't be more plain. Um, I think it's, I think this is a silly solution, even though very serious people have proposed it. Um, I think Occam's razor would say no way. Uh, this is so much more difficult <laughs> than, 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 you know, than, than, than other possibilities, um, that are much simpler. Um, but really, the the main objection that I have is is a basic one of scientific philosophy, and that is how in the world yeah. do we test this? Um, you can't disprove this in any way. I mean, that's the Karl Popper version of, of of what's needed for a theory to be called scientific, is you have to be able to disprove it by some experimental observation. Well. The, the, the fact that this theory is developed in order to explain what we see uh, ha, as having arisen um, means there's no way to disprove it. There, there's no way to actually find some experimental evidence which, uh, which, which uh, puts to a lie this, this theory. And as such, then, this can't be science. It's well, that and the science. fact that, that, that these so, theories, the multiverse theories, generally don't predict um, um, uh, that we should be able to observe directly these other universes. At most, they predict right, right. that we might be able to see certain features in our universe that suggest that, that, that it may have been part of an ensemble. Um, but yeah, maybe, like there's certain, like that, you, that, you hear that, some, you stretch. hear every once in a while people talking about, oh, maybe we might be able to see echoes of collisions with other universes in the cosmic microwave background, things like that. But I think that's, uh-huh. that's the best, <laughs> but well, that before I, I, I want to say something to that before I do that, I want to yeah. walk back one thing I did say a bit ago about uh-huh. my analogy with the 10 mile high person. I think that was the, the, the wrong analogy to use. I think the analogy I, I, I sh- the, the way I should have put it was that um, given, you know, a range of heights for, you know, humans to be viable, you know, as say in a, in a certain, uh, certain, uh, let's say basketball, whatever, it's not too surprising that, you know, we would have somebody with a certain particular height and there's a certain range of heights around. Not everybody in basketball has to be as tall as Michael Jordan. Um, there's some that are somewhat taller than him. There's some that are shorter than him, but many are still very good basketball players. And they, they're still, they, they, the, the heights of basketball players isn't that far away from, you know, what we would expect in the ensemble of the larger human population. Um, so it's, it, sure, you can argue there's a, there's a small degree of fine tuning that you need, you know, certain, you know, people who have greater height tend to be better basketball players for multiple reasons. But it's 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 not and nobody bats an eye at you know oh it's just amazing that this person would be tall enough just so that he could play basketball, um, so that's a better way of putting of putting it and it's it's not a great analogy but um, the but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in contrast when it comes to the uh, like I said the fundamental constants or you know, like the masses of the particles it is does seem to be incredibly surprising given the range of possible values 
that they could have, mm-hmm. not only just individually that they have these values, but that the, the working together to get to allow us to have the complex chemistry and nuclear reactions and stuff that why should they have these, you know, very small masses relative to the Planck scale for one and, and so on. Mm-hmm. That does appear to be not something that you would, you know, that it's not like, okay, any group of, if, if the top quark were, you know, you know, 10 t- TeV or the bottom quark or something like that, that then th- those particles could still play basketball. It's like, no, no, no. In order to be able to play basketball, <laughs> they would have to really have this exquisite tuning and, you know, so, hmm. um, and, and replace basketball with, you know, lo- complex life and stuff. And you'll see where I'm getting at. So hopefully that makes it a little right. bit clearer. Um, and listeners, mm-hmm. if you think I have no idea what I'm talking about, or if you think you can you can make a better analogy that they just were coming up with that off of the cuff, please uh, dial in. Um, I'm not always the most articulate. Um, and like I said, in the show notes, we'll put some links and uh, maybe some further discussion after that to sort of clarify some of these uh, points we're trying to make. But anyway, with that being said, um, getting back to the multiverse real quick, um, and then we mm. probably have to wrap things up. But uh, when it comes to the multiverse, again, I think a similar objection to what, or um, a counter objection to what I was saying earlier might apply here as well, is that multiverses theories, there are a lot of them out there. There's, there's a multitude of multiverse theories. Um, and they don't all predict the same kind of multiverse. There, there's... Um, not a really a mechanism to even generate the, you know, we have to assume that the constants that we see are actually not really constants, that they're part of some larger theory that can be varied based on some multiverse generator field or something that is actually dishing out these multiverses with these different constants. So, and the theories that do that vary and they vary in how fine tuned they have to be in order to even get, an ensemble universes that even has a universe like ours as a possibility. So again, we're actually still having some fine tuning problems that we're just pushing it back mm. to a lar- to a, a larger scale. You have to be able to postulate that your multiverse is capable of doing that. Moreover, um, and this is getting into really funky territory here, but some of these same multiverse <laughs> theories that are were designed to 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 um, sort of try to get at this fine-tuning problem, produce um, what are known as um, Boltzmann brains, which are basically, think of a random fluctuation in the background energy of the universe, just randomly coming together to form a full-scale human brain with thought processes able to think and observe. Um, the probability of that is extraordinarily low, that you would just happen to randomly get um, all these particles to do that, it's astronomically lower than the now, or the uh, illustration I used earlier of the wine glass, spontaneously broken wine glass with all the wine coming back into the cup and it coming back together. But the idea is that in a long enough history of a multiverse with enough expanding universes, you will get these so-called Boltzmann brains that erupt out of, of the um, just nowhere to observe for a little bit and then they go back into chaos. Um, and the argument actually goes that that given a large enough ensemble, we should see it be vastly more likely that we 
would be observing that kind of universe. Because it would actually be vastly more likely that we would come to be a Boltzmann brain. One, you know, I would be a Boltzmann brain that would come into being just randomly than it would for us to get the kind of large-scale, low-entropy universe that we actually do see. This harkens back to the probability of, that we were talking about earlier of having such a large, low-entropy universe. It's much, much easier to make one of these Boltzmann brains than it is to make the, 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 the decrease in entropy of that is much, much less than the decrease in entropy that would have to happen to get our kind of universe. At least that's the argument. That's how it goes. Mm-hmm. There's obviously way more nuance to this. But so if you, you have to watch for unintended consequences with these kinds of theories that, that they, they don't produce certain predictions like Boltzmann brains that undermine, you know, the entire point that the, your theory was built to explain to begin with. So there, it's, it's kind of interesting. There's a whole bunch of literature on this um, that gets into this more than I can. But it's not just, it's not as simple. The point is, it's not as simple of a matter of just saying, oh, yeah, we just have a multiverse and that solves the problem. There's a lot more to it than that. Even if you assume and even if you grant that the multiverse theories are, you know, legitimate scientific theories, you still have to count, you have to take into account these problems. So the fine-tuning problem, maybe some aspects of it might be mitigated under that, but it certainly doesn't go away. So that would, that would be my, my, my piece on that. But, okay, so we're almost to the door here. <laughs> um, but before we go, let's just, just really briefly um, talk about um, some, some of, the, th- some of the, the discussion we had alluded to briefly about the, using this the uh, the fine-tuning of the universe as an argument for the existence of a creator of God, or God. So um, Todd and I are both uh, Christians. We believe in God. We believe that God created the universe. Um, you might think that we might think that this kind of argument for fine-tuning is, wow, this is great. This is a good argument for the existence of God. But um, we were talking a little bit before the show, and I gather that, Todd, you aren't so uh, keen on that. And maybe in my... For my part, I'm not super keen on that either. Can you maybe explain why and what, what, what in general we should think as believers about these kinds of arguments and, and what does this, this, what can we use, what can't we use? Should we even be using these, hmm. using arguments like this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, from, okay, so for my part, generally speaking, arguments for the existence of God, I don't have a, I don't, have a lot of love for I don't think that they do a whole lot Uh, at best they're sort of hand wavy plausibility arguments which logically speaking don't hold a lot of water Um, you know my my particular perspective on uh, on humanity uh, coming from the Calvinist tradition is we're not likely to listen to any such argument. We're not going to be argued into the belief in God in any way. Um, I just don't think that that yeah, comes I'm not even a Calvinist and I mostly beings. agree with that statement. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So, so I, you know, I think that the um, uh, you know, again at the, the, the core of my own theological thought is that the you know the, the the spirit of God has to open the eyes to see, um, uh, and that 
as such, uh, you know, arguments a, a priori thrown out there into the wind are not going to take root. Now, for some, arguments are useful and uh, and and can you know at least open the uh, the, the door to further dialogue. Uh, but I don't know that arguments for the existence of God really are that that helpful. Uh, I just have not have not found it to um, okay. to be. Uh, if you're if you are you know prone to believe that, that uh, God exists, are you? Does this mean that it's the God of the Bible? Uh, you know, uh, there's nothing in any of this that would dictate that it is Yahweh, the God of Israel, and 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 the, the Father of Jesus Christ. It, that that's the one who who sure. fine tuned the cosmos. Um, and so it doesn't get you anywhere in terms of, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, yeah. And I, I think I pretty much agree um, for the most part with what you're saying. Um, I think another way of framing it is not maybe saying, oh, we should use this as some kind of toolbox, a tool in our toolbox to argue for the existence of God or whatever. I guess one mm-hmm. the way I tend to look at these kinds of things, like the fine tuning argument and stuff. Which, by the way, I think I I mean it's probably no obvious from this discussion that I think that that there is something to fine tuning. I I don't think it's not it's it's mm-hmm. just as dis, you can't just dismiss it by saying we um, don't really know what the probabilities are or, or things like that. I think it's it's a it's it's a little bit more robust than that. So I think there's something to it, but. Um, The way I would use it is say, okay, this is an interesting, beautiful fact about the universe. It's certainly very much consistent with, you know, a creator having some purpose and plan for a universe that would interact in, you know, interesting, complex ways, including producing life and intelligence like us that can think about these issues and think about these deep questions about, you know, the implications for God. But by itself, and even in combination with some of the other arguments, it's like you said, doesn't get somebody to suddenly say, oh, I believe now, you know, there's a lot more, there's the spiritual, Mm -hmm. like you said, awakening. Now, that being said, there are examples Mm -hmm. of people who have seen these kinds of arguments and have been persuaded by them and then have come to belief. And so I don't want to dismiss that. But I think that it's much more an interesting way to explain, um, to illustrate the kinds of things that God might do. Um, so it, it, you, it would be arguing in the opposite direction, you know, not, not arguing for God right. from this observation, but saying, oh, this is something mm-hmm. that, you know, oh, what does this say about how God creates and whatever, you know? And it could very well be the case that, yeah, this is showing us that, yeah, there is no larger reason, scientifically speaking, that these constants are the way they are, that there was some intelligence that had to place in that way, and this is basically the fingerprint of, of God. And I'd be fine with that, sure. Mm-hmm. But I would be equally fine with, um, and actually, if I had to really, if you put a gun in my head, I think I would even maybe even prefer this aesthetically is, is that there would be even a larger ensemble of, you know, a multiverse is appealing to me in, in ways that are not have anything to do with, you know, trying to argue for an explanation for fine tuning, but just the constant idea that there might be all these, 
much more than what we see out there that God has made, you know, that we can't even fathom that maybe we'll, you know, never see in this life. That's at least, you know, we have no evidence for that. You know, I'm certainly not claiming that I believe that that's the case, but it, it's, a, it's at least appealing thought. And so if we find out down the road in this life or the next that, yeah, God made this multiverse and generate these universes this way, and that's why we have the fine-tuned constants, you know, what, who am I to argue with that? You know, so, you know, that's sort of my, my hmm. perspective on these things. I think that this is an interesting problem. It certainly has some very interesting implications, theologically or otherwise, but maybe not necessarily the implications that are often bandied around in popular circles for, you know, arguments for the existence of God and, and things like that. But at the same time, I don't want to dismiss it as that, you know, as, as having that kind of purpose. So I guess I'm kind of, mm-hmm. you know, on the fence, so to speak, about how much it could be useful for it. But, uh, well, I folks, I think we've pretty much exhausted most of the topics that we were wanting to talk about. I'm actually, we actually covered a lot of ground here, so that's good. But obviously a lot more that we can discuss. Um, But uh, we probably should wrap this up because some of us have to pick up uh, children from daycare. Um, That would be yours truly. (laughs) So um, in the interest of, uh, you know, time, and maybe we should, we could table some of these discussions for a future time or or on the blog or on the Facebook page or what have you. Um, Let's just uh, call it a day. And, uh, and, uh, uh, do we have anything lined up for the next episode? I don't think we do, actually. <laughs> I don't yeah, think we'll so. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to, have to, we'll have to get back something. to you about that. So, um, But uh, in the meantime, um, thanks, uh, Todd, for joining me in this really interesting discussion. Um, sure. Everybody have a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, the Book of Nature podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our press liaison is, is Kristen Philippic. Uh, please contact us on our Facebook page or send an email to the Book of Nature Podcast at gmail.com. Also, if you love our show, head over to iTunes and please give us a five-star rating. That'll help spread the word since iTunes is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, podcast distribution network. So we want to get more people out there to uh, join the conversation, tell us where we're wrong, tell us where we don't know what the heck we're talking about, which is probably more often than one might think. Um, but we want, we want listeners involved. We want people to get in and give us, uh, uh, um, uh, ideas for future shows, episodes, revisiting certain topics. Uh, so, um, until next time, this is Dan Dawson on behalf of Todd Pedler and the absent Charles Hacking saying thanks for listening. Uh, take care of yourselves. <laughs>